Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career and candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, newly executive leadership coach, and your all-around hiring guru. And today, and I have to tell you, I'm kind of laughing because I just got, uh, I guess, podcast bombed would be the term for it in the studio. We had some people walking by, so shout out to Foster Williams for making funny faces at me and making me smile before we got started. So today, I want to uh, welcome our guest. It is Krister Ungerbach, author of 22 Talk Shifts, Tools to Transform Leadership. And you know, it is my goal to always bring you some really top-notch guests, and I just don't think you're going to be disappointed today at all. So let me tell you a little bit more about Krister. He is the former CEO of a global tech company, a leadership language expert, keynote speaker, and best-selling author. I only bring you guys the best, right? Um, his insights have appeared in numerous national and international publications, including NPR, just that, Forbes, Inc., Chief Executive and Entrepreneur. Today, he joins us to share his tips utilizing talk shifts to improve employees' engagement, develop leaders, and grow. Krister, I am so excited. It seems like we booked this so long ago. Yes, I'm, it's a great. I'm so glad we got to, got to do this before the end of the year. So. I know, I know. So one of the things that I like to do before we dig into your content is I like to connect the dots for the audience on how we met. So, a little test. Do you remember? Was it Frank who introduced us? Yes, Frank Agin. This is like yes. the master connector. He gets so many shout outs on this show because I don't know how, how he finds you guys, but he just finds fantastic people. And he's like, Casey, you need to talk to this person. I'm like, yes, sir. Okay. You know? <laughs> and I mean, I was so impressed when I saw your speaker reel. I was just like, this guy's legit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, I have a great, uh, I've, I've really been fortunate to have a great team of people around me over the last five years while I've been writing this book. Uh, I've had a lot of, so I, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm blessed with the, the people that have walked alongside of me and heard the vision of what we're trying to do. And, uh, and I think that for that reason, I think people want to be involved and they want to make a difference. Well, and I think when we meet people that are authentic like you and that are really trying to move the needle in the business world, I think that you naturally get drawn to those people, right? Like Frank, I mean, he's amazing. And he, you know, he connects those amazing people to other amazing people. So I just, the reason I wanna share that each time we have a show is just because I think it's so important that job seekers and even companies looking for talent, that they are this person that you're introduced to may not be the right person, but they may know the right person. And so you got to follow that little spider web all the way down until you get to the person that's going to help you. Yeah, I agree. So one step at a time. Yeah. So you wrote a book. Is this your first yeah. book? 
uh, well, I, I wrote a book and rewrote it and then rewrote it and then rewrote it. And then like the fifth version, we finally published it. So uh, <laughs> I wrote four really bad books and then I published one, uh, hopefully good one. It seems to be getting good reviews on Amazon at least. So. That yeah, that is awesome. And I have ordered your book. I haven't received it yet, which makes me mad because I really like to try to read books before I have the guest on. So I apologize for that. But so 22 Talk Shifts, walk us through this. What is a talk shift? And, you know, what are the applications in the workplace? Yeah, so let's talk about first, we'll dive in. What is a talk shift? It's a simple say this, not that rule, a fill in the blanks phrase or a powerful question. So like, these things are, you know, you could probably boil them down to a like five or six page cheat sheet. Um, and, and then there, there's the stories and the neuroscience of why they work and how they change, uh, how they change people's perspective and how they change, uh, create different levels of employee engagement. Um, but if we kind of bump up to the higher level, the bigger, broader mission around talk shifts was I decided three or four years ago that my mission was to transform 10 million marriages, leaders in lives using business and business education as a way to do that. And so as a CEO, um, you know, we, I created, was fortunate to create like $100 million in shareholder value, building a global tech company. And I retired four years ago to write a book and uh, you really have a bigger impact on the world. And uh, Part of the story that led to that, that you saw in that speaker video is that I was at the YMCA, um, found myself, I broke down crying because someone asked me, who's your emergency contact? And in that moment, I had no one. In the two weeks prior that, to that day at the YMCA, I'd walked out on the CEO job of the company that I'd helped build and loved. And then two weeks later, my wife walked out on me. And so there I was, I was a leader. I'd been a leader in a business context since my first leadership job. I was, I was 21 years old when I graduated college and, and, and my first team that I was leading. So I'd been leading for over 20 years. And there I was at age 42, standing in front of the mirror at the YMCA with tears streaming down my face. And I saw the leader that I'd become, a leader with no followers. And I started reading business books when I was 12 years old. And I started as like, I went to the right business schools and, you know, MBA programs, all of that. And I said, what, what did I miss? And so I set aside all the business books and everything. And I said, I need to find kind of the leadership language secrets that I've been you know, missing all those years as CEO. And so I purposely surrounded myself with people that I previously would have judged as kind of far out and weird and, you know, and, and now I just call them people from California. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but it was there that I discovered these secrets that not only work for leadership in the context of business, but also work for leadership in the context of family. And that's the secret sauce of talk shifts is that it's one unified tool that you can use in both contexts of your life. Uh, and there's a specific reason why I think the book is resonating. And this is a, and it comes back to this mission of transforming, using business to transform 10 million marriages, leaders, and lives. So many successful business leaders, especially men like myself, will read 20 business books before they break the binding on a single book about parenting or relationships and the things that will help them in their personal lives. And so my intention was to meet people like the guy that I was, where we're looking, which is the business shelf but give us tools that will not only help us be better in our careers and be better leaders that create connection with employees, but also tools to create connection with our wives and our spouses and our children. And that is ultimately what the talk shifts is all about. 
Well, that is beautiful. And I think it is so important. And I think you hit on something that was, I mean, it doesn't just resonate at work, right? I know that we're a business podcast and we focus a lot on work, but it also focuses on, you know, extending that into your lives. I mean, we talk about mindset all the time. And if your mindset's not right, and if you're not, you know, if you're not in the right frame of space, if you're not looking at things with the right perspective, and I've, and I'll tell you just a real quick story. I've learned this myself over this past year going through this coaching journey, and that is changing your perspective on how you view things changes everything, yeah. right? And you're a coach. I know you know that. And I can't believe I had to get to this age. I'm not going to say how old I am to finally learn that. But, you know, when I shifted and started thinking about and started looking at things and looking for the opportunities and the good things that were happening around me instead of the bad things, you know, focusing on those bad things that were happening around me, then my whole world changed. I'm a different person today because of that. Okay. And a lot, of, a lot of the things you say with the talk shifts, like I, I think I love the most what you said about how you ask about the what or how you ask the question with what and how. Yeah. And it's curious how you don't include why. Yes. Do you you have a reason? That's covered in the book. Okay. Talk shift 13, I think. Uh, No, talk shift 14, I believe. Um, So, so yeah, that's a great example of one of the simplest talk shifts. Um, And there's actually in that, I think it's talk shift 14, there's about four or five of these simple rules like this. But if you want to ask better questions, just make sure that every single one of your questions starts with the word what or how. And as you pointed out, why is not one of them. and uh, in business, we're all trained by this, uh, what was it, the Sakishi Toyota in the 1930s actually came up with this thing called a root cause analysis. And many business person who's been around the block for a while would like, you ask why five times. Well, why did we lose the customer? Well, why is the customer unhappy? Why do we like, and then it gets us to the root cause. The challenge from a communication side is that the question that start with the word why tend to put people on the defensive. And so in the book, I give some other examples of how to, uh, achieve the same objective, but she's choosing subtle changes to our words. And that's that's really the ultimate thing about the talk shift is it's always subtle changes to our words. And part of the, the minor point of that informed this is that I had to learn to lead in French and German as an adult when I moved to Europe in 2001 to open businesses in Europe. So language has always been a really present for me. And I, it was interesting when I was learning to lead in French and German, uh, I was very present about what language I use. But when I moved back to the United States, I didn't really take that same level of presence to my native language because ultimately our words are one of the hardest habits to break, right? And so this is why entering into a talk shift, we can read a book, but I really didn't want the book to be a book. I want it to be a solution, a solution to helping two people get to a better spot in their communication and their relationship, either at work or at home. And what I found is that entering into a talk shift with someone, is the most powerful way to accelerate our shift because often we don't even hear the words that we speak to others and we don't understand how our words land on other people. Mm-hmm. And so when other per- another person is there saying, hey, did you realize you just used the word should or you know, the way you asked that question, you said, why did you do that? Could, could we have used talk shift 14 and maybe reframed it this way? So we accelerate, whether it's working with our boss or a coworker or an adult child, a parent, a spouse, whatever it is, Uh, And this is one of the reasons why we created, uh, we're we're pioneering this concept called a video book, because we wanted to create a book, a solution, 
solution is a better thing, that a family can use together to shift their, their communication. And I'm, I'm actually even, I'm so excited because I'm hearing stories of readers. A woman from Michigan, an entrepreneur, she reached out to me after buying a book on Amazon. She said, oh, it's so great. And she's telling me stories about how she's using these tools with her six and seven-year-old child. Right? Like, they're so simple. If a seven-year-old, if this woman from Michigan can tell her seven-year-old, use Talk Shift 5 on that individual, and the seven-year-old turns around to the six-year-old and uses it on the six-year-old to change the six-year-old's behavior. That's why we created a video book, because I don't think her seven-year-old, uh, I don't think her seven-year-old is going to pick up the book and, and read Talk Shifts, right? And so that, that's really this thought of how do we use business to transform families from the inside out? I, I think that is beautiful. And I think, you know, I've learned a lot of this in coaching um, about the shoulds and the have tos and that kind of language and how defeating that can be at times. But I go back to childhood and my mom, I, I, she must have been a very for, more of a forward thinker than I gave her credit for, right? She would never let us say should. And to this day, I mean, even into my adulthood, I'd say shouldn't. I'm like, oh, no, that's a guilt word. You can't say that, yeah. you know? And it, it, yeah, and it is. And it, it, it implies that you're a victim to your circumstances. If you should do that, it's not because you're a choice, right? Wow. Which, well, that's amazing because this is one of the reasons why this video book is so powerful when you use it with children. I mean, you are so fortunate to have a parent who, you know, and what we find is that 93% of the people make one of these 22 communication mistakes every single day without even knowing it. So that's just one. Don't use the word should or need to, or we're supposed to. Imagine if we can start teaching our children as young as eight or 10 or 12 or 20, whatever age it is, how these, these subtle things that erode mm -hmm. relationships at work and at home. And what, what the other reason why I think it's powerful and people are resonating with, it's resonating with people is some people feel safer practicing these things in the office. And other people feel safer practicing these things at home, right? So, so often, like if I talk to a CEO who's maybe in a troubled marriage, he may be like, you know what? I feel safer practicing these things with my employees. And then I'm going to come home when I feel, when I feel that I've kind of started to master them, then I'm going to use them with maybe my troubled relationship with my spouse or my children or whatever it may be. But then there's another person who says, you know what? I, I feel really safe in my home life, but I don't feel safe with my boss. So I'm going to practice them with my spouse and my children, and then I'm going to bring them to work. And so that's one of the things that, you know, my, one of my French teachers, his name was Jean-Luc. He was uh, considered, he was voted the, one of the best uh, business French teachers in all of Europe by the European Wall Street Journal. And I said, what's the secret to language, learning a new language quickly? And he said, Christian, practice it everywhere, on the street, at work, at home, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's how it is, to talk shifts. That's, I, and I love that you went into the full accent on that. And by the way, how many languages do you speak? Uh, well, I would say I only speak two because I would say I only speak 50% of French and 50% of German. I never got to the point that I was truly fluent. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, but it was the journey of really, you know, it's, 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 it's quite a, it's a very humbling experience to go being essentially a senior executive running a company and then going into a meeting with other senior executives and really truly feeling like I'm communicating at the level of like a third, a third grader, like a 10 year old. So like it, it, it's in the early stages, it's, it's, it's impossible to be able to communicate with the eloquence that we can in our native language. 
And so we, there's an interesting thing that happens. Uh, somebody calls it something that sometimes is called code switching is when we switch languages, often people's personalities change. So I, I thought I was an engineer, a very tough analytical person. And I just thought maybe it's like, I'm just not empathetic by nature. It's my personality. But interestingly, I dated a woman who spoke English, French, and German, and she, she spoke, uh, since she learned them all very young, she spoke all of them almost uh, you know, natively. And her personality and her mannerisms and how she behaved and how she came across was completely different in all three languages. You, you would actually think that she has a different personality because of, and, and the interesting thing is she adopted the personality in many respects in the mannerisms of the person that she learned the language from. Which is also, it's a kind of a metaphor for parenting, right? We, we adopt the personality of our mother and father. We adopt the personality of our bosses in, in a company, right? You've switched from a new job to a new team and all of a sudden we start talking differently. Like, why do you talk differently? I've got a new boss. My boss doesn't call them meetings, he calls them catch-ups or whatever it is. And people, we, our language changes how we're perceived and our language that we speak to others changes how they perceive themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to throw it because you, before we aired, you talked about your son got married on a moment's notice. Well, I actually got married uh, on 24 hours notice about three weeks ago. What? <laughs> Four weeks ago. Congratulations. I've been dating, <laughs> I've been dating, I've been dating my, uh, my wife for like 18 months and we've been talking about marriage. I, I say like, most people spend uh, a year planning the wedding and then they spend, you know, hours planning the marriage. Well, we've been planning the marriage and we spend 24 hours planning our life. It's about five minutes, frankly, planning the wedding. And we had our wedding the next day in San Diego on a beach with a sunset behind us. It was amazing. But the interesting thing is about a week before that, we've been dating for 18 months. Uh, we were on a Friday night and she said, uh, and of course she knows that I'm the talk ships, the language, leadership language expert. She said, Christopher, do you think I'm slow? And, you know, we had a couple of glasses of wine. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is not the right time for us to be having this conversation. <laughs> so I put a little pin in it. The next day I came back and I said, you know, so, hey, what did you mean by it? Like, do you think I'm slow? She said, well, you ask me, does that make sense a lot? And I, I, you know, I said, well, you know, in, in IT, and I think a lot of people, you've probably seen it happens all the time. Like, does that make sense, right? Yeah. In IT, because we use a lot of acronyms, somebody told me when I was in my 20s, like, ask, does that make sense? And then business people hopefully will be like, no, when you talk about the IP protocol V6, like, no, it doesn't make sense. Could you explain that in like language that a normal person can understand? And so I was just, I just, and so I would do this so frequently with her. And she said, well, you, you asked me, does that make sense? And it, it started to cause me to question whether you think that I'm smart. Mm. And so I said, well, here's the talk shift. When I, whenever I say, does that make sense? Understand what I really mean to say is, am I making sense? It's about my communication. So by changing that, not only, even though I say, does that make sense? What she hears from that moment forward is, what he's really saying is, am I making sense? It's about him, it's not about me. So the interesting thing is that asking her, does that make sense over and over again? She's a successful executive, very intelligent, but it started to change and erode her, maybe not her image of herself, but certainly the image that she thought that I saw her as. But here's the crazy thing, because I wrote a book on this. I wrote five books, just rewriting it over and over again for five years. And I said, well, hey, here, here's the, let's create a feedback loop. Every time I say, does that make sense? 
just look at me and say, yes, Krister, you are making sense. And then just set, count it off. One, two, let's just see how many times is this gonna happen in a week? So one week later, we're walking 33. 33 times in one week, we, only, we don't even live together full time. We're half and half because we're divorced. Uh, 33 times. And so every single time, one, two, three. So 33 little feedback loops. At 15 times, I said, wow, we're going to have to take a little more evasive action here because I don't see that it's really changing. So if I am the leadership language expert who wrote a book for five years about this, and one week later, 33 times I'm still saying words because I don't even realize the words that I'm saying. What's the likelihood that you or the other viewers that you have words that you're using that you don't realize how they land on people, your employees, your spouse, your children. And that's why having someone with you engaging in a talk shift is so critical to help us hear the words that we say in the, in the way that other people hear them. I, I, you know, and I think that is so, what you just said is so critical about, you know, I say things a lot and one, you know, it's especially with my team and I'm just, I move so quickly that, and I'm so fast paced that a lot of times I'll just say stuff really short, right? Really short, not even thinking like, why did that hurt your feelings? You know, I just want you to get it done. And, you know, my boss pulled me aside and he's like, Maybe you should just slow down a little bit, Casey, when you're talking to people. And I'm like, you should, oh. you should slow down. I should, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and now I'm sitting here going, man, how many times have I been told I should do something? Right? Um, Didn't have your same mother to remind him to not say these these words. Should you know? And funny, you should bring that up because I don't really notice it as much when people say it to me. It's when I say it. Because as soon as I would say it when I was growing up, it was like, don't use that word. Find another word. That's a guilt word, you know, and the have to's and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I really need to call my mom and say thanks tonight, huh? Well, you know, the other one, the other one in the same talk shift is that the, is to say you need to, is uh, yes. you should, you need to, all these. And so we talk about, uh, the talk shift for that one is to talk about let's, let's do this or consider doing this instead of, instead of you need to do that or just please. Yeah. Please. So what was those specific words you should uh that the boss said to you uh you should you should talk you know, a little slower you should talk a little slower so um if i want to be very direct talk a little slower yeah if i want to be a little more polite please talk a little slower <laughs> another option consider talking a little slower all these yes. are better than you should talk a little slower and then the, the, the last thing i can do and you, i think you wanted to talk about requests is i can say um will you consider talking a little slower. And I, now, now, now we're creating, so, or my request of you is that you begin speaking more slowly to the people who are on your team in the future. Are you, uh, do you accept my request? And so now we're now, now what too often as a leader, and I did this all the time, you know, I mean, I did, I learned these things when I was 42, 43 years old. So I didn't have my mother telling me, uh, not to say should. And, um, so the, the, as a leader, we often say, oh, you should show up late. You should do, you should. But what happens is we never actually get the agreement from the other person of what the behavior is that they're going to change. And so what is it a leader? Like there's Casey, she's still talking fast. Yeah, she hasn't. <laughs> I told her you should do this. But there's a subtle difference in the language when they say, 
Casey, my request of you is that you speak more slowly to people on your team. Are you, are you willing to do that? Yes, no, maybe. And then now if you say yes and it doesn't happen, now we can have a different conversation because you actually agreed to do that. Exactly. You know, and that kind of leads me to another thing that I wanted to talk to you about and that I think is so interesting is that you talk in your book, I, I believe it was in your book, it might have been an article about leading people to their own solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, why is that so important? Well, people, people are going to be much more committed to delivering on their own solutions. And when we come to employee engagement, uh, there, there's kind of I, roughly three categories of employees. There's the one category of employee that um, likes being told what to do because the, you know, maybe just their job's like, hey, nine to five, I'm out of here. I love like just not having, I can switch work off. Um, and then there's the other category that maybe is like stressed out. So it's nice. I really appreciate my boss taking stress off. Basically like the boss is actually taking uh, my problems away, which if you're a boss and you have 200 emails a day, then consider maybe you're leading with solutions rather than leading with questions. But the, but the, there's a third category employee that doesn't like being led with the answers. They're the people that when they, uh, when they got the A's on the test, it's not because they copied the answer off someone else or someone else gave them the answers. It's the top performers. The people like you, the people who are listening to this podcast, you don't like being given the answers, do you? No. And when someone gives you the answer and says, this is the solution, sometimes we're even more resistant, even if we agree that it's the right solution. So often if we want to get more out of people and we want to actually have less stress in our own lives, leading people to their solutions, not ours, is a much more powerful. And frankly, it takes a lot less effort because the questions are the same over and over again. The answers are what's different. The questions are easy. Giving the answers is hard. So mm -hmm. if you want to actually lead with less stress in your life, lead with questions instead of answers. And, and just to clarify on those questions, lead with those empowering questions, not your close-ended questions, your yes, no. You really want to make sure that you're asking those open-ended questions and you know, and another thing that I've learned recently, and I was real curious to hear your comment on why we don't use why, but sometimes, and I just wanted to add to that, when you ask a question leading with why, it can come across as very judgmental. Why did you do that? You know? Yeah. Instead of, what led you to take that action? Yeah. Or, or why didn't you do X, Y, Z, which is just the solution in a highly judgmental way. So Absolutely. there's actually, the thing with leading with questions is, I think it's talk shift 15, um, I call the magic management eight ball. And it's like a, a little exercise, I don't really, you know, it's basically just imagine you go into a meeting, it's a problem solving meeting, you're a leader, you got five people, you get them around the room, let's solve the problem. And rather than going in, like as we often do as leaders, like I know what the solution is and I'm gonna basically guide this meeting to the solution. What if you went in and you had a list of 20 questions and you said, I'm just gonna randomly choose a question off the list and say, what, what does everybody think about this? And that's what the, the point was, not that people actually do this, but it's really a thought experiment to show and prove to ourselves that leading with questions is so much less, takes much less mental energy and gets greater results than leading with answers. So like the, the questions, you could ask them over and over again, what solutions have you considered? What's your next step? What's standing in your way? How can I support you? You notice every single one of these, what and how questions. None of them are, uh, have you done this yet? <laughs> Which is just a solution disguised as a question. 
Absolutely. And I think too, when you ask those empowering questions and you let those people find their own solutions, they're way more bought into those solutions than they ever would be if you gave them the solution that they needed to work towards, because that's not their solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, you know, admittedly, like that was one of the things that was probably one of the things I was worst at uh, as a CEO in my entire career. And I think it's especially in, in, in uh, fields where technical expertise is important, right? Because that's what people often get promoted for their expertise at doing a job. And that's great as a team leader of like five or 10 people. But what happens is to get beyond that, to lead a team of 30 people, what I call breakthrough, like I think there's an invisible ceiling around 20 or 30 employees that I saw as our company grew from kind of 10 employees to 250. Um, I had to lead in a very different way in order to lead effectively a team of more than 30 people. When we got to 100 people, I had to change that again. And it, was, it became more and more question focused and less and less answer focused. And the, the point of that, the other thing that I talk about in Talk Shift 13 is this, which is about leading people to their solutions, not yours, is, is that we do this in our, we do this in our marriages all the time too. Like, you know, so there's a funny viral video uh, called, it's about, not about the nail. It's got like- Oh my God, I've seen that. You've, you've seen it, right? It's, it's amazing. Uh, I actually asked the, I asked a producer of that if he would allow me to include it inside the video book so people wouldn't have to go look at it uh, on a different website, but he said no. Anyway, so the, uh, you know, he's like, hey, we're going to have a lot of people watching this video book. Anyway, he, he wanted to charge too much. So with the, uh, <laughs> so anyway, but it's basically an example of uh, how this leading with answers plays out in a marriage. And uh, the thing is, like, women love that video because they're like, this is every man and every husband on the planet so, does this. So but give us awesome. a quick little overview of it so that everybody knows what we're talking about. I don't, I, I don't want to leave the punchline. It's basically the husband's just saying, hey, you know, if you got the, the woman's like frustrated and the husband's like, well, you know, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's the solution. She goes, no, no, no. I, you know, basically, I just want to talk about it. I just yeah. want to share how I feel. Um, and so the interesting thing that this plays out, and this is like part of the talk shifts, like it's always kind of alternating in the same chapters, like 80%, this is about business, but oh, by the way, here's how it applies in your marriage. And then some of them are like 60% about how it applies in a family context and 40% about business. So it's always this constant push and pull of how this exact same language can make us more effective in the leadership context of a business and in a family. And so... The interesting thing, and I think this is so important for bosses and leaders today, is I, I, in a lot of these rooms with the people in California and the new age woo-woo people, like a lot of them were from the therapy community, and many of them were marriage counselors. And I, I actually met two marriage counselors, a husband and wife, who had been in marriage counseling. Combined between them, they had 80 years or 75 years of marriage counseling. And I said, Linda, I really want to know one thing. What are the things that women say over and over and over and over again for the last 40 years that they've been saying, you know, in the 1970s and they're still saying in the 2020s, what are those things that women are still saying that have kind of been consistent for 40 years? And she told me these five phrases. And you know what really struck me is that four of those five phrases were exactly the words that an employee would say who's frustrated with their boss. He always solves my problems for me. He doesn't listen to me. He always has to be right. You know, so, so what if, what if, what if the behaviors and the words that create happier employees? 
also create happier wives and happier lives. And that's kind of the fundamental premise that is, we often just think that because these two questions of what makes a great leader in the context of a business and what makes a great leader in the context of a family are so different, we assume that the answer is different. But what connects these two questions is that the answer is the same. That was a great place for us to start wrapping up this podcast. I cannot believe we have been on almost 30 minutes. And thank you so much for that. And I definitely want to get to our VIP questions before we run out of time. But so many great points today, Krista. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom about, you know, I told somebody the other day that, you know, that old saying sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Completely false. I think that's total baloney. I think words are way more harmful than somebody beating you up with a stick. So, you know, like, yeah, what we realize is that most people realize that like punching someone is somehow wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize in leaders and husbands and spouses and wives and parents don't realize is that most of us punch people with our words. Absolutely. And often the words do hurt worse. And that's why we need to understand how our words hurt each other. Because no one's telling you like, hey, you know, I got a bruise on my eye. You don't have to go to like, you know, wear sunglasses the next day because somebody punched you with their words. Well, let me tell you something. If somebody punches me with their words, I am the first to tell them I didn't like that. So find a different way to talk to me. (laughs) So, all right. Are you ready for the VIP questions? I am. Okay. I I always love these because I get such different answers and they're always interpreted in such different ways. So curious to see how you interpret them. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? If I was one of the first colonists on Mars, what would I take? Well, I would take a copy of 22 Talk Shifts (laughs) because if I have another colonist, uh, even though I wrote the book, I still am like trying to figure these things out and uh, practice them all the time. Um, That was pretty self-serving. I, I should have a better. Uh, <laughs> I would. Uh, I would take my hiking shoes, mm. and uh, since it's Mars, I would make sure I have an oxygen mask. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Some people assume there's infrastructure there already, but some people don't. I think the Martian. You know, when I think about Mars, so I would probably want my oxygen as well. Uh, my second question. I love this one. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? Admittedly, I'm actually I still struggle with that morning routine. Uh, I am uh, I know I know what my morning routine looks like when I'm really on and I have my best days. Um, but uh, I would say maybe my it's not so much about the morning routine; it's about the night routine. It's about getting mm. to sleep at a consistent time because, it's, like last night, for example, I think I slept an hour. I was like I was in a super creative mood. Um, you know, now it's almost five o'clock, so I've been up for you know almost forty hours uh, with one hour of sleep. But so when I don't have a good morning, it's usually because I didn't have a good night, right? So, mm. Gotcha, gotcha. And I, and I know that a lot of people, they, they have to have that like shutdown routine at night so that they do get that good sleep and that they're ready to start in the morning. So, yeah. all right, my final question. Well, at least my final VIP question is, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? transform 10 million marriages, leaders, and lives. Perfect. And and, and like the professional part of it would be, 
and in the process transformed how we create, consume, and create community around books. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot, creating community around books. So how do people find you? Talkshift.com. Uh, if somebody's interested, I do do, I do do a lot of keynote speaking, both virtually and in person. Um, I've been told that I've, uh, I guess I'm not too bad at it. I'm certainly <laughs> much better than 10 years ago. My first, my first talk I ever gave was when I was 23 years old at a Microsoft conference, and I was rated the second worst speaker out of 120. So, oh, um, ouch. Lessons. I had like, so this microphone, and I was doing a software demo, and I was in like, and I was breathing down. I was like, <laughs> like Darth Vader, like, you know, I was coming out of the big speakers in the back. So I've come a long way since uh, 25 years ago. Um, so if people are interested in keynote speaking, uh, the best place to go is Krister.com. Krister with a K. That's my first name. Uh, and um, and that, that's the best way to really accelerate uh, a talk shift within an organization is to get 100 of your senior leaders or more together. And let's talk about the words that we speak to one another, the ones that we're saying and the ones that we aren't. That's perfect. Well, Krister, I just have one last thing to say to you before we part for today. You are a VIP. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.